Okay, so we're continuing our Missing the Point series. Um, it's in Luke 11, where there's a bunch of people who uh, are just missing the point. And today, we're going to talk about uh, missing the obvious. And missing the obvious is like when my husband Paul looks in the fridge for the mayonnaise, and he can't find it, but it's like literally right in front of his face. I don't know why that happens, but he missed the obvious, just like the people in Luke 11. And, and what we know, uh, Luke tells us a little bit about this crowd that's, um, that has come to see Jesus. Um, in Luke eleven sixteen, he tells us that they were demanding a sign from heaven. Like they wanted to see a sign from heaven to prove that he was, he was from God. And, you know, I, Jesus just, you know, he's just, he just wants to invite everybody into this relationship with him, right? This is what his heart's desire for the crowd. And, and we know that in eleven twenty eight when he says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And if you're like me, it's like you hear it and obey it. I have to be good. Like if we hear his word and we listen and obey it, then that means we're good. And if we don't, we're bad. And I don't know if that's really what God had in mind when he, you know, or Jesus had in mind. That really what he's talking about is an invitation to a relationship with him. That when his followers came to, to you know, um, listen to him and follow him, that they were, it was an invitation to a relationship that was intimate, that was close, that was based on mutual trust and love. And so it's not about being good. We're not talking about being good or bad or being right or wrong. We're talking about a relationship. And so he's inviting us into that. And so as the crowds, you know, so let's look into um, 11, 29 through 32, where our passage for today. Uh, I'll read it. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at this judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the pe preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. So we are, here we have this large crowd that was coming. It's larger than it was last week. And I can't imagine what it must be like to have this large crowd, you know, for Jesus, right? He's here. And this large crowd is, at, you know, right in front of him. And they're demanding for a sign. And they want to know, are you from God? And they're just demanding this sign from heaven. And Jesus is there, like, I'm right here. Like, you're missing the obvious. You're looking for a sign from heaven, but... I'm right in front of you, and I'm with you, and I'm talking with you. And he calls them, you know, I don't know if Luke, like, just, or Jesus just got straight to the point, and maybe there was, like, this other intro, but Jesus just is, like, Luke writes it, or he just goes right into it, right? He's like, you are, this is a wicked generation. Like, what if I started my sermon like that? It, it, it wouldn't go well, right? This is a wicked generation. You guys are a wicked generation, Right? But he, this is what he's, you know, but this is what he said. It's like this crowd was so demanding of, of proof. And they were just so, like, stubborn and uncooperative that he tells them this is a wicked generation. And the wicked, word wicked that he uses in 29 is the same word that he uses in verse 34. And he's talking, when he talks about, Jesus is talking about a metaphor. We'll talk about it next week, um, referring to um, uh, his eyes. And so the word for wicked in 29, the Greek word, he's, is translated wicked. 
but in 34 it's translated unhealthy. And so one of my favorite New Testament professors, Joel Green, he puts it this way. He says what, what Jesus is saying is they are wicked because the way they see things is unhealthy. They're wicked because the way they see things is unhealthy. And so their stubborn and uncooperative attitude expressing their demand for a sign, it was leading them away from God. It seems like they would want to hear, you know, they want to hear from God, right? Because they want to see if he's real, if Jesus is from God, but it's actually leading them away from God. They're moving, they want to move towards God, but they're, leading, they're moving away from him. And honestly, I can empathize with, with these people, right? Because from the beginning, right, right, we were looking for a sign with Noah and the rainbow. And Moses, you know, going to, to Egypt to free the Israelites from slavery. Like all throughout scripture, we see where we're looking for signs where the invisible intersects with the visible. But he, there's something different here. That Jesus' miracles, it should have been proof enough that he had this unique relationship with God. But they weren't satisfied. It wasn't enough, and they were missing the obvious. And so Jesus declared that the only sign they were going to get was the sign of Jonah. And Jonah was assigned to the people of Nineveh by means of this miraculous, um, you know, divine rescue after being swallowed by a fish. And we have to understand that Nineveh, we've talked, I think we've talked about this before, how they were the capital of Assyria, and the Assyrians were known to be ruthless and proud and stubborn and idolatrous people. And they were a threat to Israel. They were like their enemies. And so here's Jonah. Of course Jonah's going to be resistant to go to Nineveh and preach the message of repentance. First of all, because he doesn't want them to You know, he's like, get rid of those evil people. They're our enemies. But long story short, right, Jonah obeys God, and he goes, and he preaches like the shortest sermon ever, and to his surprise and his frustration and almost disappointment, the people of Nineveh, they listened, and they repented. They heard the word of God, and they obeyed it. They trusted in God. And then in 1131, Jesus begins to tell the story of the Queen of Sheba. And she, like the Ninevites, are foreigners. They're outsiders. And she gained power and wealth from having access of trade, you know, with gold, of gold and silver and spices because where she was, you know, Asia and Africa could trade and from the east and the west. And she was, like, wealthy and she, she had so much. But she heard about King Solomon and how he had so much and, and his prosperity. But she's like, how did he get rich? Because he is in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is a city on top of the mountains, and there's not easy access for trade. How did he do it? There's no natural resources. So she travels, like, you know, because she wants to get to know all the world leaders, and so she goes and she travels to meet King Solomon. It'd be kind of like if Oprah went to go talk with Richard Branson. Like, hey, what are you doing? How did you do that? You know, and they're talking. And when she visits him, you know, she's like, whoa, she's like his home, his servants, the clothes the servants wear, the food they eat. It just takes her breath away. And as they talk, she realizes that King Solomon's prosperity, his wisdom, his authority, that everything he has is from God. And so she, too, she hears the word of God. She sees it in how, you know, in, in King Solomon, and she repents. And, and she's like, you know, this is God. 
I can't, you know, I can't deny that. And she sees God. And so it's weird how, like, you know, these people who are foreigners who don't see God or who didn't know him, that they are the ones who are hearing the word. They are the ones who are responding to him. And that these foreigners are the ones who are going to rise to judgment, referring to the resurrection of the dead, when, when, when Jesus will come and make everything right, when he'll rid evil from the world and heaven will come down forever. And, you know, he's like, they are going to be there with us. They obeyed. <laughs> okay. And then Jesus says, you know, like, Jonah and Solomon were great, but I am even greater. I am the son of man, and I'm right in front of their face. And this crowd, they don't recognize me. They're totally missing the obvious. They don't see him. And so what does that mean for us? How are we missing the obvious? How are, what is keeping us from seeing Jesus? For me, you know, I, I don't demand signs from Jesus. At least that's my side of the story. Um, but I can be stubborn and uncooperative in my desire for him to listen to me and my requests because I do it in a Christian requesty kind of way where I really just want God to make my life easier, right? Growing up, my mom, um, I was just thinking about that. She has been gone for like 26 years. But I still remember the days when I would come home from school and she was, or when I, you know, got married and, and you know, she would always just listen to, to whatever I had to say. She was a great listener. I knew that she would always be there for me. She would answer my questions. She would give me advice. If I needed to vent, she would just let me vent. And she would always be there for me. Even maybe a little bit too much, right? She would do things for me. Like if I had a problem and I was busy because I was doing ministry, she would do my laundry for me. Or, you know, she would make, you know, she would just, come on, why don't you come by and have dinner for her, you know, and just take care, take care of me. She was really an enabler. And guess how I grew up? I'm totally an enabler, too. <laughs> and, and I transferred that feeling of, you know, I want someone to take care of me and do these things for me onto my relationship with God. And so even this morning as I'm praying for this service, you know, I'm like, Lord, you take care of it. Let your spirit work. And then one of our prayer people reminded me, no, Lori, yeah, he'll do that, but he's going to do it with you. He's present with you. You totally forgot that he was right in front of you. You totally missed the obvious that, yes, he's with you doing this. So growing up as, you know, because it's mom, mom, Mother's Day, I wanted to show you a picture of my family when my kids, when Jordan and Micah were younger. Yeah, they're so cute. They still are cute. Um, but when I was a mom, uh, and I, uh, yeah, when I was younger, <laughs> so embarrassing, but I used to pray, like, God, just help my children sleep tonight. Please, it's been five years, and I just I want to sleep. And so I said, please, Lord, like somehow make them sleep. But, you know, I didn't help God out because I didn't have a schedule. Sometimes I go to bed at 8, sometimes I go to bed at 11. You know what I mean? And so it's like I'm not taking responsibility. Like I'm not helping God help me. Does that make sense? I want him to enable me. <laughs> Or sometimes I'd be like, please, you know, like, let them just listen to me. Please give them ears to listen to what I say. Please. And then, you know, 
I, when I had to discipline them, I wasn't consistent with my discipline. So it was probably very confusing for them because they didn't know what to do and they would just try and push and, you know, get away with as much as they could because they're kids. And so I really wasn't helping God. I wasn't taking my responsibility and what I should do as a parent. I just wanted God to fix it. So it's not really a sign, but it was a way that I wanted God to show up. And so for us, for you, like what is it that you, that is keeping you from seeing Jesus? What is, what is, how are we, you, how are we all missing the obvious? And, and getting back on the, the Mother's Day thing, it's so interesting to me because I, my kids are grown now. They're not like that anymore. You can look at the next picture. They're adults. And so, aren't they so cute? I love them. Okay. But it's interesting because I could look back at my life and my, you know, being a mother and how I raised them. And I loved being a mom. I loved playing with them. I loved spending time talking with them. I loved laughing with them. And I even loved enabling them. Like, I would, you know, I loved doing their homework, or at least helping them, or correcting their papers. And I was so happy, like, when we got a good grade. Uh, <laughs> I was like, yes, I could do good, you know. But throughout, like, all of being a mom, and, and I would take on their responsibility, there was just so many responsibilities. And, and, and in that process, I'm looking back, and I realized I had so much self-doubt I had so much guilt, and I had so much fear. Because being a mom isn't easy, right? Like, being a woman, like, I don't know if you guys know this, but, like, even, like, deciding when or, either you know, when we should have children as women, it's hard, right? Because we have, uh, we have to get married, and we have to get a boyfriend first, and then I get married, and that's okay. But, you know, it's like, there's no good time in our career to try and plan to have a child, right? It's easy for, I shouldn't say it, it's hard for everybody. But it's harder for women. <laughs> because, you know, and then they're like, well, you don't want to have a child before this age. And there's so much pressure, like, oh, you know, well, we got to do this. There's so much planning. There's so much responsibility. And then, you know, we think, okay, we want to have a child at this time. And you got to plan it out. And there's so much stress. Because what if it doesn't happen at that time? And then, you know, we, some, a lot of us, like, we struggle with infertility. And there's that guilt, and there's that self-doubt, and there's that fear. And then some of us, you know, we've experienced miscarriages. And there's that self-doubt, and there's that fear, and there's that guilt that we have. And I know that fathers experience that too, but it just seems so much more personal when it's your own body. And then we decide, like, okay, you know, if we do, if we're lucky enough to have a child... It's so hard because we've never done this before, right? And there's no amount of YouTube videos, books, or advice that's going to prepare you, right? Because we just, we just don't know. We've never done it before. And then it's, like, tricky because you have the second child, and you think you know because you had the first child, but the second child is totally different from the first child, and what you learned the first time doesn't work for the second time, right? It's challenging, and we feel guilty because we're like, we got to do all these things and give our children the best, you know, advantages and the best opportunities. And we're, we sign them up for all of these things. And then we're tired. And guess what? We feel guilty. And then we have all this fear that, like, we're scarring our children. And we're like, oh, my gosh, we're going to have to pay for their therapy, which therapy is a good thing. But, you know, i got to pay for my own therapy. <laughs> and you have all of this stuff. And then you go back to the self-doubt and the fear and the guilt. And it's hard. And there's so much responsibility. And there's so much to get done. And I don't think you have to be a mom to, like, identify with the self-doubt and the fear and the guilt. 
And I think we all are missing the obvious, you know, and we're all like asking God to help us deal with our self-doubt and our guilt and our fear and, and all the ways that it manifests into the problems in our lives. But we got to know and understand and trust that he is right there in front of our faces, that he is with us and he cares for us and he loves us no matter what. And so what if Jesus is saying to us what he said to the crowd? What if he's saying, you want a sign? You want me to solve your problem as a sign of my presence and my love for you and my care for you. But what if he's saying, none will be given? We want him to work. We want him to prove to us. But what if he's saying, you know what? If I were to solve your problem, why would I solve your problem without involving you in the solution? Like, why would I solve your problem without inviting you to the solution, into the solution? And I would say, God, because that's what my mom did. Hello, that's easiest for me. I don't have to do anything. That's the way I learned it. But he'll say, you're an adult and you need to learn this. <laughs> right? That if God were to solve our problems for us without us, that he's really enabling us. That if we are like, fix this, you know, make my children go to sleep. And if he does that, he's totally crossing, he's doing my responsibility. He's taking on what I'm supposed to do. And that's unhealthy. And I don't think God would ever want to have an unhealthy relationship with us. I don't think it's in his character. He wants us to take responsibility. He wants our relationship to be healthy. And so he wants to involve us in the solution. And if he, he wants to involve us and in to go deeper to deal with our self-doubt and our guilt and our fear. Because if he takes care of all the things around us and solves our problems, guess what's going to happen? Do you think everything's going to go away? No. That fear and self-doubt and guilt is going to manifest in another way. And it's just like all these little fires that, you know, we want Jesus to put out. But he invites us to go deeper and be vulnerable and acknowledge and face our self-doubt, face our guilt, and face our fear with him. He invites us not merely to deal with our self-doubt and our guilt and fear in the way that manifests itself, but he wants us to go deeper, to be open and vulnerable. Jesus invites us to come and to acknowledge it and to confess it and to surrender it. And I have to tell you that that's scary. It takes work. It takes courage. It takes time. It takes help from others, from, from the Spirit to help us identify what it is, to give us the courage to do it, and help from others who've been there before, who can walk with us. The Spirit helps us get so much. And, then, and if we go and take you know, this journey and go deep with Him, then we'll know even more at a greater level how real God is and how much He cares for us and how much He loves us when we start taking responsibility for our lives and understand why we do the things that we do. When we move from doing and saying things from our self-doubt and our guilt and our fear into doing things more of a place of love. 
man, I wish I did do that as a parent when I was thinking about this. Like, oh, it would have been so much better if I made decisions for my, you know, as being a parent from a place of love as opposed to my fear, as opposed to my doubt and my guilt. So are we missing the obvious? Are we missing that Jesus is right there with us and he's inviting us to connect in a deeper way? And I encourage you this week to to spend some time with God and invite the Holy Spirit in and just ask him to, to give you the courage and the grace to ask, you know, what is keeping us? What is keeping me from seeing Jesus? How am I missing the obvious? You know, when Jesus was in the garden the night before his death on the cross, he asked his father, if you're willing to take this cup from me. And just as Jesus said no to the crowd, God said no to his son. And I have to believe that that was the most difficult decision that God ever had to make. That that no was so hard, and yet that no was the most loving act that he could have done for his son and for all of us. His no was just a loving And I appreciate how Jesus leaned into his resistance and how he leaned into his fear and how he went to his father and told him. And when God said no, he sent his, his, his angels, right, to comfort and to strengthen Jesus. So when he had to suffer and when he did die on the cross, he didn't do it with any doubt. He didn't do it with any guilt or with any fear, but he did it from a place of love. And that's what we call experiencing heaven together. When we can do things and say things from a place of love, that's where heaven meets earth. Are we missing the obvious? Are we searching for Jesus? He's right here in front of us. He's with us this morning. He's with us always. Let's pray.